0: November 25th. Once upon a time, in the faraway land of Ireland, the Acts of Union merged together Ireland, which had been under English control since the 12th century, and Great Britain to form the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. What this meant was that Ireland was under British control and now no longer had its own parliament in Dublin. Instead, being governed by a new united parliament located in Westminster in London. Not everyone was in favor of this, however, and throughout the 19th century, Irish nationalists began to rise up and opposed this union to varying degrees. Some of the Irish nationalists called for a home rule. This meant that while they would remain a part of the United Kingdom, they would retain a local self-government, but... The United Kingdom was against this, for some reason, and all bills like it were shut down. At least until 1914, when it finally passed, but then World War I happened, and the implementation of this new Home Rule was suspended. Revolutionary groups began to spring up, and the Irish Republican Brotherhood believed the Home Rule would not go far enough and began to seek independence from Great Britain. Cut to the Easter Rising. On April 24th, 1916, Rebels seized Dublin's post office in strategic locations and read a proclamation declaring Ireland an independent republic with a newly appointed provisional government. The public did not support this, however, and within the week, government forces crushed the Rebels, killing 450 and injuring 2,000. 15 leaders were swiftly executed, 300 were arrested, and 1,800 were imprisoned. This rush to action by the British caused much public resentment, and the movement for Irish independence strengthened. By the end of the 1910s, a new political party, Sinn Féin, had won the majority of House seats and moved forward with the plan to establish Ireland as a republic. The Irish Republican Army, launched a guerrilla war against the British government, and by 1921, a ceasefire was finally called. The two sides finally signed a treaty to establish a free Irish state, however, Ireland's six northern counties decided to remain a part of the United Kingdom, and so the Republic of Ireland was officially proclaimed April 18th, 1949. But there was also a northern Ireland, This part of Ireland remained under British control, and the issue of a united Ireland has been prominent ever since. Paramilitary groups began popping up with the Unionist Loyalists, who wanted to preserve links with Britain, and the Nationalist Republicans, who were in favor of a unified Ireland. Political views were a dividing factor as well as religious views. The Nationalists were typically Catholic, while the Unionists were Protestant. The one thing they both seemed to agree on was violence, and so they fought. The Unionists feared the idea of the Catholic Republicans gaining equality, seeing that step as the first in a series that would lead them to a unified Ireland. And so paramilitary groups continued to fight with one another, with one of the most notorious and violent being that of the Ulster Volunteer Force, or the UVF. And that's kind of where the story picks up, with the entrance of Lenny Murphy. Murphy was the youngest of three and part of the loyalist Shankill Road. He had an intense hatred for Catholics, calling them scum and animals. In his book, The Shankill Butchers, which is the topic for today's episode, Martin Dillon wrote, Incredible to think that Murphy was in fact a murderer at the age of 20. As early as 1972, Murphy was involved with the torture and murder of four Catholic men and would even see jail time for the killing of William Edward Pavis, a Protestant man who was accused by loyalists of selling weapons to the IRA. He, along with Mervyn Connor, would be arrested and held together before Connor died after ingesting cyanide in his cell. As luck would have it, Connor would leave behind a suicide note exonerating Murphy of his involvement. When the case went to trial, although identified by two witnesses, Murphy was acquitted because the evidence could have been affected during police lineup. By May 1975, Murphy was back on the streets living in Belfast with his wife and daughter. In August, he left the Biardo Bar, one he frequented, only minutes before the IRA made a gun and bomb attack, killing four Protestants and injuring 50 more. As a result of this, Murphy got together with his brother William, and together they formed the gang that would become known as the Shankill Butchers. On October 2, 1975, during a warehouse robbery, the gang shot and killed two men and women, all Catholic, but it would still be a month before the gang would find their first victim that would eventually give them their infamous nickname. The year was 1975, and on this day, November 25th, the Shankill Butchers carried out the first in a series of cutthroat killings using butcher's knives. The Shankill Butchers would ride around in a black taxi, belonging to William Moore, one of Murphy's sergeants. They would typically roam areas near the Catholic New Lodge in hopes of finding Catholics, and on this particular day, they did. They found Francis Crossan. It was approximately 12.40 a.m. when Crossan was spotted by the butchers. The black taxi pulled up beside him and he was hit with a lug wrench. It was then that two of the four butchers dragged him into the taxi where they drove Crossan to the nearby Shankill area. They beat him viciously, including shoving a beer glass into his head. While Murphy repeatedly told him, I'm going to kill you, you bastard. The taxi took him to an entryway at Wimbledon Street, and Crossan was once again dragged away, only this time to an alleyway where Murphy cut his throat to the spine with a butcher's knife. The four men left Crossan there to be found the next morning. For his funeral, Francis Crossan was unable to have an open casket because of the brutality of his attack and the severity of his mutilation. Of all the murders that the Shankill Butchers performed, Francis Crossan was only one of three that Murphy killed himself. In the BBC documentary Shankill Butchers, Stephen Nolan talks to former Chief Inspector Jimmy Nesbitt, who said that, at the time, no one knew who the Butchers were. But this is contradicted by witness accounts from people in the area who claim that their identities were widely known by journalists, lawyers, and the population. May Blood would later say, if you didn't want to set yourself up as the next victim, you closed your door and shut your mouth. Murphy and his men were just able to do what they did as long as they did out of fear, and it's speculated that little effort to find those responsible was made because the victims were Catholic. The Shankill Butchers continued their killings over the next few years, but it was the arrest of Sam McAllister and Benjamin Edwards that led to the arrests of most of the gang. They implicated Lenny Murphy as the leader and the driving force. Murphy, who was in jail at the time for an attempted murder, had no charges and faced no prosecution because of a lack of evidence. Not all were so lucky, with 12 convicted of various crimes. By the gang's end, the killings of 23 people were attributed to them. As for Lenny Murphy, he was murdered November 16, 1982 by the Provisional IRA while standing outside his girlfriend's home. The IRA termed it Murphy's Execution. He was buried with full paramilitary honors and has been seen as a hero. His gravestone actually reads, Here lies a soldier. It was smashed in 1989, but has been replaced. The relatives of the victims don't support this view of Murphy and his gang, and I can understand why. It's been said that the Shankill butchers were terrorists, nothing more than serial killers inciting fear in the world in order to push their agenda. Some say it goes beyond terrorism, and the photos and the victims and their weapons would support this. Of all the members of the Shankill Butchers who were imprisoned, none are currently behind bars. William Moore, the taxi driver, was the final member released in 1998, although he died in 2009 and was buried with paramilitary honors. Again, to the dismay of the victims' relatives. There's a great documentary that I briefly mentioned from the BBC Shankill Butchers, as well as Martin Dillon's book, The Shankill Butchers, that dive into the history of the group in much greater detail and are definitely worth checking out. The Oregon indie folk band, The Decemberists recorded a song titled The Shankill Butchers, which describes the events in a nursery rhyme style, the way that parents used to caution their children of the killers. I'll link those below. that's going to do it for us today if you like this podcast and want to hear more give us a rate and a review that helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all if you're watching this on youtube you can find the year was audio version on your podcast app of choice you can find me on social media and at youtube at the apple cider club and as always i want to thank the tim kreitz band for our musical theme and thank you for listening we'll see you next time